This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move further in our adventures in the Acts of the Apostles with Peter's second sermon, part two, Peter and John Arrested. We cannot but speak. Voices lifted to God and everything in common. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendoors.org or your favorite podcast provider. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave me. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have never offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent for them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your Lord. Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor 
witness your confession. I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. by the confession of a true faith and to worship the unity and the power of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign, one God now and forever. Chapter 2. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will hope in, dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. I believe in one God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Belief in the Holy Trinity is absolutely a condition of salvation. And not merely belief, but even the worship of the one true God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And this much is made clear to us even in the words of the Athanasian Creed. And I say even in these words because you and I both know that the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is everywhere in the scriptures. The Athanasian Creed in that respect, it serves as a kind of summary of what scripture itself says. But the fact that I make the point indicates that there is at least a small problem in the church today. And you can look up the Pew Research Studies, you can even look up other resources talking about the Trinity and lamenting the lack of understanding about the Trinity in the American church today. There is a problem, namely, that the Trinity is unknown, the doctrine of the Trinity is unknown, the significance of the Holy Trinity to justification and salvation are by and large unknown or very, very foreign, I should say, or that it is afforded lip service only by so many. To put it in our context, the doctrine of the Trinity for so many is something that belongs only to the creed and only concerns us on one Sunday of the church here. It's treated as a mere requirement, which if you regurgitate the right words, nothing more is said or expected. It's no wonder then, if that is in fact the case, it's no wonder that some regard the doctrine of the Trinity as something which is unnecessarily complicated or unnecessarily divides. So little time is spent on a doctrine which the Creed speaks of in such a manner as this, the Athanasian Creed. Whoever does not keep it, the doctrine of the Trinity, whole and undefiled, will without a doubt perish eternally. What? We're talking about this doctrine this way and then we spend so little time on it? How is it? 
Why is such a doctrine upon which we spend so little time allowed to be such a condition of fellowship, not to mention even salvation? But I would like to draw your attention to an earlier point, if you caught it, about the language of the Athanasian Creed, and specifically, that we are to worship the one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Being faithful to the doctrine of the Trinity is an act of worship. It's a matter of worship and not merely intellectual assent, not merely just grabbing the mechanics of it. We don't fully understand the divine mystery. We don't fully understand how the inner workings of the Holy Trinity more than what God himself has revealed to us in his word. So we can't claim to have an exhaustive knowledge. We admit even the greatest doctors of our church going back for thousands of years have admitted that there is mystery here. And yet we must participate in it. We must worship the one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. With a creed is not off base. The Athanasian creed is not off base in making this claim. Since our knowledge and doctrine of the Trinity is not limited to the creed, it is not the invention of Greek philosophers, nor is it a kind of Jim Crow of church membership. And if you treat it that way, or I should say don't treat the doctrine of the Trinity, your people will treat it the same way. They will regard it as little or nothing. They will regard it as an unnecessary barrier to membership. They will regard it as the invention of complex and intellectual men like Greek philosophers. We rightly know and worship the one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity because we know the great works of God that have been done among us and in which we participate. That's what the scriptural narrative is all about, is telling us of the great works of God, of the works of Christ, and by those works you know that he is from God. He is from the Father. He is very God of very God. In the ancient and specifically the sense afforded to us by the scriptures, the ancient mindset and the sense afforded by scripture, function corresponds to nature. We know that the Son of God is consubstantial with the Father. He is equal with the Father because the Father has all authority. God, right? He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, also says, when giving the command to the holy apostles to baptize, and that's important, because this is not said in a vacuum as a mere statement of his power. It is said in conjunction with the very commandment, which, if kept, gives you and I the right to be called the children of God. John chapter 1. There Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he then commands to baptize. And so you see there the revelation of the Trinitarian relationship is said and given in conjunction with the gift of baptism, our salvation, our being incorporated into the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. Suffice it to say, common authority indicates a common nature, and that is what Scripture reveals to us. The Son is consubstantial with the Father, and to suggest that such an understanding and such language is a philosophical imposition on the Holy Scriptures isn't merely to misunderstand the creedal position, that of the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, and so forth. It isn't merely to misunderstand the holy apostles and the greatest doctors of our church, but it is also to misunderstand the biblical position. Philosophers didn't draw the comparison. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, 
all authority has been given to me. And the Holy Trinity is revealed to us in the very life and ministry of our Lord, whose works define us as Christians. He came down revealing the Father to us, and it is through that and receiving Him as He has come to us that we are then saved by His grace. Our reception and participation of His works and His commandments is the true worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4. In no world should we conceive of the forgiveness of sins apart from the Holy Trinity, as the revelation of the Holy Trinity to us. Apart from the Holy Trinity, there is no forgiveness of sins. And even worse, in no world should we understand the forgiveness of sins, our justification, Christ's death on the cross, as something which pitted the Father and the Son against each other. Rather, the very unity of the Trinity is what brought about our salvation, our being forgiven in the first place. Since it was the Father who sent the Son, who obeyed to the point of death, who pours forth His Spirit upon all who believe in Him, and which Spirit joins us to both Father and Son. John chapter 14. The apostolic testimony that has been down, that had handed down to us for thousands of years, the Holy Scriptures, is that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to have the Spirit of God, and in fact is the Son of God and has His Spirit and pours forth His Spirit from the very will of God. This is what He has come to do. And all of this that He claimed about Himself and He did and performed is proved to us by His words and His deeds. Those who had never seen God finally beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus it is from the biblical witness, the scriptures themselves, that you and I are to understand that Jesus' words and His commandments, so what He taught us, and the sacraments that He has given us to do, these are the very things that reveal the Holy Trinity to us and draw us into worship of the one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. If it wasn't for the biblical witness, we would have no ground to claim that Jesus was consubstantial with the Father, equal with the Father, we would, and if not equal with the Father, we would have no ground to put confidence in His work and His words. But Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves me, and He who loves me will be loved by my Father. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. And Jesus says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. St. John the Evangelist, writing later, no doubt reflecting on the very words and teachings of Christ, says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He has the authority to even give the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, my exhortation to you today and all days is to the true worship of God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And also, my exhortation is to you to teach this, to hold each other to that, to remind each other of that, to connect the doctrine of the Trinity, to connect that fellowship with our understanding of justification, baptism, the sacraments, and so forth. We know the Holy Trinity not as a mental construct, and not because of just one Sunday in the church here, we know the Holy Trinity because of the great works of God that have been done among us. The function corresponds to the nature. We have been baptized in the triune name, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
have made their home with us. We call upon our Heavenly Father to give us this day our daily bread, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is shown forth to us, given to us to eat and to drink. That is the true worship of God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. That is keeping the true Christian faith pure and undefiled. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. For the Church, that God would open the ears and eyes of his people to see, hear, and trust his merciful deeds of salvation in Christ Jesus, and that he would loose the tongues of his saints to confess his holy name, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For our nation, that God would grant peace, justice, faithful rulers, honest industry, and an honorable way of life, let us pray to the Lord. For husbands and wives who are unable to conceive or bear children, that God would grant them strength in their trials to trust solely in Him, and that He would, according to His will, grant them a willingness and opportunity to become fathers and mothers through adoption. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord for all who suffer illness or injury, and for all who undergo or recover from surgery, that the God who by his miraculous might opens eyes and ears would grant patience, strength, and restoration of health. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the faithful reception of the life-giving body and blood of Jesus in the most holy sacrament, that through this sacred meal we might find life in him. Let us pray to the Lord. And all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
confession of the Son, of the only true God. We worship the Trinity in person and the unity in substance of, maj of majesty co-equal. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore praising you and saying, Sins. This do as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Christ, strengthen and preserve you to life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. Amen. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And his Let us pray. O oh God the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh. We thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 